Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine and fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 323 for September 6th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about practicing dovetails, differences between gravity and siphon HVLP guns, keeping our shops organized, and something Matt forgot to put in there. Did you get a question this time, Matt? I did. Uh, it's about where to find resources for period furniture. Nicely done. Good cover-up. Um, but before we get to all that <laughs> stuff, <laughs> let's thank a few people. Uh, we've got several people who used PayPal to do their uh, donation. I- Ian Hepburn, Bill Lavolsi, and David Watson. So thank you so much, guys. And if you want to help out that way, too, you can. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in that right-hand column, and you'll see some convenient links for recurring or one-time donations. Or these days, the, the thing that's popular with the kids is called Patreon. <laughs> and patreon.com slash woodtalk is where you can go for a more automated system where you sort of get stuff in return and you help us achieve goals like having guests on the show, going live and doing a live show like we're doing right now. And our next goal, which we are creeping up on, guys, it's coming up fast. That is the return of the weekend show. More work. Which no one asked for, but we're doing it anyway. (laughs) You may not want it. Uh, Patreon, it's new. It's loud. It's scary. It's not the the show you wanted, but it's the show you deserve. Uh, (laughs) All right. So yeah, it's all at patreon.com slash woodtalk. So we appreciate everyone who's helped us out with that. Let me thank a few of those people because we did have a few more since last week. Uh, Sam Bladen, James Wright, Ted McMahon, Rush Johnson, Jim Rumsey, Matt Miller, Zach Spill, Spile, uh, Jim Ketchum, Trevor Braun, Kyle Barton, Stephen Wilson, Tim Walsh, Todd Hoops, Chris Berkland, Nathan, single name, Nathan, just like Madonna, uh, Stephen <laughs> Cap- Caperton, Hernan Coronel, Kevin Brewer, Tony Rouleau, Paige Bonifaci, Bonifaci, and David Bonifaci. Nichols, my good buddy, and two... Uh, <laughs> These two weirdos, I'm not sure what their names were doing there. Matthew Cremona and Shannon <laughs> Rogers. 
I love the show so much. Suckers. Somebody somebody hacked my Patreon account. Someone guilted me to support more people last week. All I all I can say is I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at this job if I can get you guys to both donate to your own cause. This is the string of text this afternoon. Well, I can't see those emails to answer questions. Well, I guess you have to sponsor the show, you know. It's like this the 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 not so subtle hard sell on text, and suddenly both Matt and I are now sponsors. Yeah, now I gotta reimburse these two goons every month. That's great. Here's your don't spend it all in one place. Uh, and a quick reminder, we are coming up quickly on Woodworking in America. So 9-15, September 15th at 5 p.m., Moorline Logger House. That's where we're going to meet up and shake hands and give hugs and uh, maybe dance a little Irish jig. I don't know. That sounds fun to me. Uh, but definitely want to hang out with us. Come come talk. Let's talk woodworking. Let's talk about, uh, well, let's, you know, let's talk about Shannon behind his back. That'll be fun. Uh, but Literally. Just- yeah, a bunch sure. of stuff we can do. Um, so come check us out. Hang out with us. And also the folks at uh, Modern Woodworkers Association, a good bunch of guys. It's bound to be a good time, and I'm really looking forward to it. All right, so let's move into what's on the bench. I don't really have much. I'm going to make this quick. I'm still trying to work out the final design on the grandfather clock, and that's really about it. I mean, I, I've actually been messing around with cameras and stuff, but I don't want to drag this show down talking about the back-end technology aspects of, of running a show. <laughs> I want to talk about that. Nah, well, we'll save that for the weekend show, right? That'll be fodder for the weekend show. I can't wait to talk about cameras because I want to buy one. Yeah. So no, Seriously, because I haven't been um, – I know you've had a couple of teasy-type things about this grandfather clock, but I've, I've paid attention to none of it. What exactly is the style? Are you going like more arts and crafts? Are you going like full blown like 18th century grandfather clock? That would shock me. Uh, we are that. doing more of arts and crafts mission style slanted sides. Okay. Uh, definitely more traditional quarter saw and white oak. I've got uh, anyone looking on the live stream, wrong shoulder, can see right over my shoulder here is a whole bunch of uh, quarter sawn. I don't know if I'm, I've been anxious to try fuming again. I haven't done it in years and I don't even know how hard it is to find the proper ammonia solution anymore to do fuming but it is a cool process so i may do that if not probably just do some sort of arts and crafts dye um you know to get it to that sort of uh fumed look that people really like sure. so a little more mm-hmm. traditional but trying to make you know a little bit of a modern spin on it. it's going to have through tenons uh through the vertical styles which is going to look really cool and uh you know more traditional but not you know not grandma traditional if you know what i mean <laughs> does that make sense yes it does i okay. have a very clear image in my head <laughs> Then, you don't even know my grandma. little bowl of ribbon candy. <laughs> exactly. On the table next yep. to it. Sugar-free candy next to that, which tastes nice. terrible. Nice. What about the dial? Have you Are you just going with a plain dial or one of those like fancy hand-painted arts and craftsy type it's, thingies? It's pretty plain, and I am working with Clockit on this, so they have some clock faces that they kind of recommend that just work well with, with the other things that I bought. And uh, this one just kind of is made to look almost like a parchment design so it's cool. you know it's fairly muted there's not a whole lot going on um but i think it fits the piece pretty well nice so yeah nice. so that's really about it i'll have that design probably hammered out this week and actually start building it this week but right now i just haven't really made much sawdust uh because i'm just playing with cameras baby one of my second favorite I, things to do i thought of you this weekend i was at an antique store with my wife and there was a grandfather clock over in the corner mm-hmm. and from far away it's like oh look a federal style grandfather clock and i got about I don't say say within eight feet of it. I was like, oh, a reproduction federal style clock. And you get to three feet, a crappy reproduction. (laughs) And I got up close and I was like, okay, let's, you know, Mark's been talking about, you know, he's been complaining. He's always whining about the experience or experience, the expense of the, of the mechanism. So I opened the door and it was fake. 
total <laughs> fake. It was a total fake. It wasn't an actual working clock. It oh, that's like, awesome. Wow. You know, what it mean? was like a paper pendulum. Somebody even went to the trouble of creating like a fake pendulum inside. Did they at, wow. at least have like a quartz mechanism at the top? So it's a, a functional clock. That I don't know because it was up against the wall. I was tempted to kind of like see if it was just like one of those. Like, is it moving like, at all? Lee Valley things that's just like stuck through a hole in the in the face, yeah. and there's a there's a double E battery back there, and that's it. Jeez, well now that you mention that, uh, if that's a thing, maybe that's what we'll do. That sounds there cheaper. That's yeah. a good option, <laughs> man. That's crazy. <laughs> well, good there's, stuff. The, there's your new book, the Anarchist Clock Book. That's right. We don't need no stinking pendulums. <laughs> Who needs weights? <laughs> cool. All right, Matt. So. I've been seeing what you've been up to and I know you were talking about making this whole bandsaw mill thing, but it wasn't until I saw the carriage (laughs) completed and this thing rolling that I'm like, what is this guy thinking? (laughs) This is crazy level stuff that you have there. It's massive. Unbelievable. I am am crazy. Look, there's a, there's Matt Cremona's farmhouse table on Instagram. Pretty big deal. Soon to be found in the Wood Whisperer Guild at thewoodwhisperguild.com. By now. By now. (laughs) Good job. Sell out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so tell us about this uh, bandsaw, massive gargantuan bandsaw mill. I've been talking about it for a while. You don't... I'm surprised you just finally realized it's gargantuan. Well, it's, well, he wasn't here for the first show, so... Yeah, well, and I, I hardly pay attention, frankly. Like, if it's not in my little bubble, in my world, it's some, some stuff seeps in. I'm not in your world by now? Uh, every Monday at uh, <laughs> 1 o'clock, <laughs> or uh, 3 o'clock, yes, you are, for a full hour. It's nothing but Matt on my mind. But no, I, I to, def- to defend Mark, seeing it, like, put together... And like seeing the image of of what did uh, James send out something that it's like one point six eight Cremona's high. Yeah, that's it. I saw that on Instagram. You see it the, the scale, scale. I don't think was really apparent exactly. until this weekend. It wasn't until your full body is in there with this thing, and I'm like, damn, that's that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, the carriage is uh, was like nine feet tall, something wow. like that. Wow, that's I think crazy. It's nine man. feet tall. Crazy. It has to be that tall so the saw head can go up high enough to clear so the blade can clear. The top of like a five and a half, six foot diameter log. So you can still cut along the top if you wanted to. Gotcha. You could put a basketball net on top of that thing and it'd be regulation height almost. (laughs) (laughs) And we're laughing because like you could like, I feel like a smaller car, you could drive it right up onto the frame and you can pull the engine right out of it if you needed to. Wow. Or cut the top off and make it convertible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) why alter the mechanism, right? It's a horizontal mill. Just, yeah. Dang. Awesome. That's crazy, man. (laughs) <laughs> well, good. Good on you. Better you than me, as I always say. Well, you know, it's just fun. I started, um, I had uh, James Wright here over the weekend. We started with a pile of um, square tube, and by like a day and a half later, we had this rolling carriage. And awesome. it's uh, pretty, pretty heavy and pretty big and pretty awesome. Um, we did, I don't have the picture yet, but we took a picture of us holding the wheels where they're going to be on the mill so you can get like, kind, of, kind of a full, final idea of what the scale is going to be like. Because don't forget, it's going to be even wider. It's like 10 feet wide, 9 feet tall, mm-hmm. 16 feet long. So it's only 6 feet wide right now. Add those two 30-inch diameter wheels hanging off the side of the carriage. And it's pretty big. That's insane. It's just like this giant gantry-looking thing. All a uh, sawmill is, like these, this style mill. Yeah. It's a gantry holding a bandsaw. Good stuff. I cannot wait to see. Now, now that I know the scale, I can't wait to see it come together. <laughs> 
I said that before, but I must not have meant it. <laughs> you can tell right now. <laughs> now I'm really interested in this thing. Yeah, it's going to be great when you see it fire up the first time. Mm-hmm. That's going to be scary when I fire up the first time. I yeah, think. you need a remote switch from about 50 feet away. I'm, I'll be standing <laughs> behind a blast shield or something. Yeah, I think it's the safest it's, bet. What what lucky YouTube uh, channel owner will you bring up to fire it up that day? <laughs> you stand here. I'll be over here. <laughs> nice. That's the whole thing. That's what you were doing, right? You were just setting the stage. Let me just start inviting other channel owners up, and yeah. you know they won't know. They'll they'll feel it's an honor. You know, <laughs> little do they know. Think of all the exposure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exposure that always to spinning works, right? Free exposure. Everyone loves that. Cool. All right. Nice. What else? I finally finished the farmhouse table. It took me one month to apply all the finish to that table. Wow. All the stupid rain. Nice. Apparently we had a rainy August. I didn't have like, I think maybe like four days was like the longest I had without rain. Jeez. And then it would rain and then you like got to wait for it all to like dry off and then you can apply some more finish, but hopefully it's not going to rain before the finish is cured. So it's been quite the, I don't know, interesting experience finishing outdoors <laughs> yeah. like this. Um, but hey, I got it done and it looks awesome. That's good. So, uh, did did you say that you covered? You had to cover it, or is it just getting water on it and you just kind of? I got water on. I don't have any way to cover it. it. Jeez. Yeah, I just, just dealt with it. So yeah, I would be out there with a the squeegee every now and yeah. then. Every time it rained, squeegeeing it off in the morning, letting it dry. Jeez, man, uh, that <laughs> is a process. Forecast. Is there rain in the forecast? Twenty percent tonight. Hmm. Should I go for it? Possibly ruin this right. or not? Man. <laughs> One of those kind of things. Well, at least and you know it should hold up in the weather now. It's held up all the way through. It's gotten wet all the way through yeah. from raw wood through every single coat of finish. Right. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. And it took, uh, definitely took, actually it's going to take me three coats of that matte finish because you can't see what areas you applied this stuff to because everything looks wet. So uh, okay. this la- the second coat is dried and I noticed I have like these two spots like maybe three inches long, maybe like an inch wide. And I totally missed with the brush. So now I have these little glossy streaks yeah. in the table. So I'm like, oh, great. I can go through and do another quick coat of this matte stuff. And I'm finally done with that. Nice. Finally. <laughs> well, how do you now? I remember we talked about this before. You weren't sure if that was the right way to go. What do you think about it? Because I, I was pleasantly surprised by how well, once you get to that second or third coat, you completely get rid of the gloss, just how well mm-hmm. that matte version of the finish works out. I like it a lot better than the gloss. I think I'm still, still more of a somewhat of it like more closer to a semi-gloss kind of person but having to choose between the high gloss and the matte matte wins by a lot yeah like a lot a lot and you know what's nice about it it's easy to photograph because it's not glaring light back at the yeah, camera showing every light in the picture <laughs> yeah it's a much more and that's the thing a lot of times you do that sort of outdoor finish or a marine varnish and that's really what you think of as those super shiny surfaces which generally at least theoretically it's supposed to be better because it reflects more light which means it's less light doing damage to the finish but you know when we're talking about stuff in our backyards it's probably not as big of a deal but man it looks just uh, just as far as aesthetics are concerned mm-hmm. so much better with the mat it does. It, I'm really happy with it. Cool. Like, super happy. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Shannon, what's yeah. going on with you? Hmm? What? Wake up. Sorry. We're talking, <laughs> about, we're, taking, we're talking about finishing, your favorite thing. I was just glazing over as I kept hearing everybody talk about how Matt is the best finish. And it's like, come on, man. He's not that Chill great. Humility. <laughs> humility. He's all right. Come on. <laughs> He's not the best. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, let's see. I finally put the bracket feet on my blanket chest this weekend. Um, yeah, that was kind of nice. They've been sitting there assembled for a while. And um, there's these little um, kind of triangle mounting plates that go under a rabbit on the inside of the feet. And um, I had them cut and I glued and, and nailed one of them in place. And then I realized that if I that made cleaning up the dovetails a lot harder <laughs> because now I couldn't like rest it over the corner. You know, you've got an, an L bracket. So you put it over the corner of your bench and you plane off the, the dovetails. Well, with the little bracket in the place, now I couldn't do that. I had to put it over the corner of the bench and that worked for one side, but flip it to the other side. So I'm like making laps around my bench to go to the opposite corner <laughs> to do this. So I was like, yeah, it was just one of those little moments where you have to like rethink the steps. Um, yeah. So fortunately, I, I learned the hard way on the first one and did the, the planing in the right order on the other three. But I got those together and got them installed and put it up on its feet, and it actually looks like a blanket chest now. So I'm kind of excited <laughs> about that. Nice. Um, yeah, I just got to do the uh, tackle the moldings next in a couple drawers, and she'll be all done. Sweet. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I mentioned uh, last week, maybe, I don't know, um, that I was going to be doing that, uh, that inlay M onto that sales plaque. And I actually got some really good feedback from YouTube, and I got a I don't know why I didn't think about this, but rather than just doing a solid color inlay, I'm going to do a multiple color deal. Mm. So um, the the troubles that I was kind of toying with were using kind of a lighter inlay. Well, if I use a much, much – if I use a really light inlay like maple or, or holly, but if I make it really, really skinny with like a black inlay or a walnut inlay in between and kind of a typical stripey banding, um, it's kind of like you know adding – you know, a stroke to a letter or something mm-hmm. in Photoshop, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of makes it stand out so it doesn't disappear. So I still get that dark inlay that I want, but it doesn't get lost into the Sapili background. So I've been kind of wanting to play with like federal style bandings for a while uh, to the point where I have some veneer already acquired for that. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Here's my excuse. You know, here's my project <laughs> to jump into this. And it's one of those things when you when you jump into kind of a new area, a new technique, you start to realize like there's a lot of things that go with it. You know, it's you know, certainly there's the veneer. Um, so I, I actually found a place where I could get uh, a 32nd inch thick holly veneer. So I ordered that. Hopefully that should be here tomorrow or Thursday. I have some black dyed poplar already. And then I started thinking about um, some yellow and I've got a hunk of satin wood, an eight quarter hunk of satin wood that I could saw into my own veneer. Well, then I started thinking, well, okay, then I've got to surface that veneer and then I've got to thickness it to whatever, you know, 32nd of an inch thickness. So I need a little jig for that. And then I need a jig to press the, the like loaf together, I guess, to saw off the banding. So I'm like running around, like making all these little things just to make a single banded edge. <laughs> um, should be, you know, ideally any banding that I go, make, go forward in making will be, all that stuff is already done, but the first time you do it, it's a, a little bit, uh, a little bit more to think about. Yeah. But it brought up the other idea of um, I'd like to saw more of my own veneer because I started digging around looking for veneer, and the first thing you find with commercial veneer, obviously, is the really, really, really thin stuff, which for some of the banding might be okay. I mean, the worst case scenario is you just stack a couple on top of one another, and you've got a little bit thicker banding. But then you've got to go through the steps of gluing that all up, and you know I've got this great resaw. Um, uh, Rubo resaw to, to saw my own veneer and I've done it before and it's fun and I can get eighth inch slices out but I started thinking about how do I go about dyeing wood 
like if I want to use black, like an ebony, mm-hmm. um, you often find dyed uh, poplar. And I have some of that stuff. And it's dyed through and through. So no matter what you do, you always get black. But I can't really find anything on how to do that. So my question to everyone out there who's listening is if you know of a process to do this, you know, I've seen India ink before. And I'm not talking about ebonization where you can still see the grain because – you know, you could go with a, a card scraper and it's going to not be quite so dark as you go a couple fibers deeper. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious. I don't know if it's one of those things where you just like dunk it in a tank of ink and leave it there for a while or, or what. But um, I'd be curious if anybody has any resources for actually through dyeing um, veneer. I've often wondered if, you know, to get like bright colors and things like that, if you could sort of do the vacuum sealing stuff that you do for uh, like in the oh, kitchen yeah. for frozen meat. Mm-hmm. Um, just evacuate all the air, get a little bit of extra pressure in there. And maybe that would pull some of those dye particles deeper. And it's so thin, you know, that veneer, I mean, soaking it would probably work to an extent too, but imagine soaking it, but also sucking out the air. Um, I'm sure somebody has tried that. So give us some feedback if you have. Yeah. Then I got to go get the whole vacuum press thing. (laughs) Yeah. But then you could freeze your meat. (laughs) Well, there we go. Bonus. You guys got a big freezer for some extra meat, right? I could dye my meat too. There you go. St. Patrick's oh, Day and stuff. <laughs> mm, delicious green meat. <laughs> green meat. Cool. So yeah, I'm um I'm I've got my little my press set up. My my little it's like a shoot. Uh, Steve Lotta does it in his Lee Nielsen video. Mm-hmm. It's like this little U-shaped shoot with a, a call that goes on top. I've got that laid up. Um, I've got I'm just waiting on the holly to show up, and I will hopefully be sawing up some satinwood veneer this weekend. So I should be ready to. Create some inlay banding in the next couple of weeks or so. Does your wife get upset when you say that, that you're, you're just waiting for Holly to show up? Yes. She get confused? <laughs> and b- a little bothered by that? Uh, so, hey, I know you already answered him in the chat room, but Jamie McGannon did ask Matt a question concerning his bandsaw, uh, Dilly Whacker, and wants to know if he's doing anything to help prevent rusting of the raw steel while he's out there building it. Nope. I'm letting it rust, and then I'll paint it. I've got some paint that goes over rust, so I'm not too worried about it. Cool. You know, great segue here. We're going to move into what's new. The first thing that was sent to us was from Jeff. He says, this is a great way to clean all of my tools from now on. And he says, also might be great for shaving. It is a thousand watt laser that <laughs> that basically just blasts the rust off of steel. And it's one of the most, just the coolest things I've ever seen. It just makes me, I always go to like the worst case scenario. What happens if that hits your hand sort of thing? But it is brutal. It's loud and very, very cool. So there's a YouTube video here where you can watch this thing in action, but it has no problem just blasting the dust right off the surface and making just a clean metal surface. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. I wonder how much it costs. I want one. Probably very we should expensive. get one for Woodtalk. We should. Yeah. <laughs> then I have to intentionally rust some things in my shop because there's no humidity here. <laughs> 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 Let me rust up my table saw just so I could use this thing. And then we can talk about rust prevention. Yeah, because we never do that. <laughs> yeah, but if you had a laser, you wouldn't want to do any rust prevention because you'd want things to rust so you could get Just out so the I could use my laser. Your freaking rust. laser. Freaking That's the prevention. Just laser. get the laser. Cool. Next up, as a sentence from Brian, comedy and woodworking taste great together. Check out Nick Offerman's new book, Good Clean Fun, Misadventures and Sawdust at the Offerman Woodshop. And uh, Nick's also announced a book tour and he's not going to like bookstores. He's going to woodworking shops. What? Which is awesome. That's like, great. You can go get your book signed and actually in a wood shop. That's crazy. Oh, I'll go into the page right now to look at it. Maybe I should have done this before. 
What if you take someone else's book? Like, what if you show up with a hybrid woodworking book? Will you do that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'd go, what the heck is this? <laughs> Who is this guy? So he's in Phoenix at the uh, Changing Hands at Mesa Arts Center. I know nothing about that place. But maybe I should go. 1025, maybe I'm probably not doing anything Maybe it's time else. to know something about it. It is. You know what? I'll go there and ask <laughs> him, hey, uh, how come you haven't been on that Wood Talk show? Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, we actually asked patrons who they want uh, to be interviewed, not really interviewed, but a guest spot on the show. And uh, Nick Offerman came up a couple of times. And it's like, well, yeah. I'm not so sure he's going to anyone's going to return that call, but you know, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, not... he's, pr- he's promoting a book, you know, he yeah. might want to. Hey, we're, we're not that's a good quite angle. that influential. Yeah, there you go. You want to say and certainly it's your demographic, right? Yeah, you I know? mean, if you're trying to, to talk to woodworkers, pretty good demographic. Yeah, although I don't think you need us for your... Of course he doesn't, motion. but that's not the point. <laughs> anyway, well, here's a, here's a Wood Talk first. I'm going to talk about something new that you can't click a link on to go see. Oh, uh-huh. that's stupid. <laughs> no, I just read this today. Um, Woodshop News, their new issue came out. And if you're not familiar with the uh, the magazine, it's it's much more of like a trade, uh, commercial, woodshop type thing. It's always fun to leaf through because it's like... Uh, Kind of like what we were talking about with IWF, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the grizzly articles or the grizzly advertisements are the same as you'd find in like popular woodworking, but there's nothing for less than like $12,000 on the page instead, <laughs> you know, but Bob Flexner, everybody knows Bob Flexner, Mr. Finish uh, has an article in there about smart finishes and it is way cool. Um, Matt, you're talking about like uh, having to squeegee off the water from your, your mm-hmm. table. Um, he actually talks about a finish. I believe it's in Belgium that they put on all the buildings down in like the, the nightclub district because too many um, patrons were relieving themselves against the walls at night. <laughs> Whoops. So I knew where this was going. They, they created a hydrophobic and oleophobic. So that's water and oil repellent finish <laughs> that not only does it like beat up on it, basically like bounces off and bounces back at you. So if you pee on the walls, you might get wet. So, Sweet. um, but it's it's just one example of a smart finish that uh, through you know the miracles of modern chemistry completely repels certain materials. Then they have another finish that they're talking about in the aeronautical industry where uh, dependent upon the temperature, it will, for lack of a better term, secrete, I guess, a silicone uh, surface that makes it completely nonstick. And then as things hmm. warm up, you know it what's the opposite of secrete? sucks in i I guess so it basically prevents ice from sticking to it anything from sticking to the wings um then they have another one that actually is self-healing and there's there's some finishes already there with heat it will kind of flow out and and fill up a scratch but this is stuff that will actually kind of do it without you having to go and apply heat to it Hmm. so you know you you key your car you key your your coffee table and you know give it a couple of days and it heals itself which is just way cool nice the future is now, man. I want that. The future is yeah, probably so, very expensive too. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's only sixty five dollars a teaspoon. <laughs> right. That's not bad. <laughs> eh, perfect for the weekend woodworker. Oh, but anyway, I just thought it was kind of cool to uh, see Bob Flexner. That's a name we know from you know our little world. Mm-hmm. Here he is showing up in the big uh, trade publications. He's probably always written for them. I just never noticed. <laughs> Could be. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> All right. Next one we have here is from John. He said, this made me laugh. It's a Reddit post about, uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, um, pallets are really easy 
targets these days. Like the sort of palette <laughs> backlash is it's almost becoming old at this point. Uh, but it's basically a picture of a palette leaning against a tree and a person says, um, look what I made from an old coffee table. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just, it's getting too easy anymore. Um, but if you want to go check it out, the comments are pretty funny. The whole thread is just, you know, hopefully you're, you have a lighthearted sort of humor about these things. Go check it out. My favorite still the bonfire man of a palette. Yes. <laughs> that is a pretty good one. Think of my palette project. There you go. Um, uh, Lastly here, we got one from Earl. This is an awesome 3D marquetry floor. I can't even describe this. We're just going to have the link to this thing, and you're going to have to go take a look at this because it's just crazy inlay mm-hmm. floor thing, and they're applying finish to it. And I, I don't even know. Yeah, it's, that that exciting moment when you pers- first apply, like, oil to a figured wood, and you're like, ooh, look how pretty. Yeah, this and no. This, this no, is amplified times a thousand. This. Oh, what is all this stuff inlaid in here that I didn't really see before because it was all kind of the same color, not enough contrast. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty damn amazing. And it's it's kind of exacerbated from like the daylight cascading through the windows. Yeah. So it's giving everything this like blue hazy color to it. Right. And then he like wipes it down. You're like, what yeah. is happening? It's oh. absolutely gorgeous. Cool. All right, let's move into kickbacks here. We got one that's actually a voicemail from uh, our buddy Jim. Where the heck is the voicemail? Oh, this is where I have to, the live thing screws me up. So hold on a second. Where's, yeah, let's go to Skype. Okay, let's go over here. So people who are watching get to see this. Okay, there's Jim. Hey guys, this is Jim Ashley. Um, I wanted to just chime in real quick on the bandsaw injury that was noted last episode. Um, I would say anecdotally, I don't have any data, but uh, a large amount of those were uh, meat room or butcher shop based. I used to work in the meat room several years ago, and um, usually when the bandsaw was turned on, it was because you had to batch out a large amount of cuts, and you could easily just um, be going right along and lose a little bit of concentration. We actually had a guy, the way that happened to me, he had about 14 stitches in his hand. Um, and usually the, the bandsaw only came off either when you were done or if you needed to swap out the blade for the you know, either from the meat-only blade to the bone blade or vice versa. Um, the other thing, too, is the nature of meat itself. I mean, it's an, especially if you're talking about something like a shank cut, they tend to flip, and the motion of the blade going downward into the bandsaw tends to, have a, um, tends to pull the meat down and into the table and inward to the blade a little bit. So that's it. Love the show, guys. Uh, take care. Well, there you go. Thanks for that, Jim. We were wondering, and that, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Meat. 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 That's Butchers. all I got from that. Butcher fingers. <laughs> oh, what a good meat weekend. I'll tell you, Labor Day. I made me some ribs and oh, it was just, it was a good weekend. Good smoky weekend. Uh, all right. Next one we have here is from Rory. Yeah. Oh, yes. Nicole, you're confusing me. You're sending me stuff while I'm recording. Uh, right. <laughs> Rory says, two weeks ago, you guys were talking about working with pressure-treated wood. One thing that I learned the hard way, if you're cutting wet pressure-treated lumber on your saw stop, ding, 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 uh, the wet lumber will activate the break. It was an expensive education. The next time I'm working with wet pressure-treated lumber, I will turn on the bypass mode. It's probably a good idea. That I think sucks. a lot of saw stop people probably already know this, but if you don't, you, it's something you should probably pay attention to. <laughs> you're going to find out. The hard way, nice. Yes. Uh, this next one comes from Joe. Uh, he's kicking back kickback from uh, our last episode. Uh, Joe's the guy that uh, wrote in about the humidity, relative humidity thing. <clears throat> and he had a 
very long, long kickback. So I edited it, Joe. He says, but because I'm a total engineer geek, I sought out the uh, U.S. Forest Service resource that is actually referenced in the Woodshop widget. Uh, it's what uh, uh, Ken uses to uh, calculate all the movement based on equilibrium moisture content. Mm-hmm. It does answer the question that it is both temperature and the absolute humidity that are the driving variables. So it's really not how much water is in the air, but more of just a measure of the absolute humidity as it relates to temperature. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the conclusion that we came to, that it was not really one, just one thing making that, uh, right. which is what kind of ameliorates the movement. You know, when uh, 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 Joe was saying, well, shouldn't it move like a foot? You know, and no, it's only moved a quarter inch because it's not taking into account just the amount of water in the air. It's a little bit of uh, there's more than one variable at play there. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Ah. Very technical answer. Yes. Not really. <laughs> Next up is from Joel. It says I liked your your discussion of the Shaper Origin router slash CNC system. I think is a big place where such a tool would be useful in a woodworker's shop. That would be in making templates, jigs, and fixtures. And Mark's tour of David Marks's shop, he joked that you need a jig to make a jig. Being able to make, being able to design a jig slash fixture slash template and then fabricate it without extra was it, intervening steps or need to print multiple pages, paged paper templates. See, for example, Mark's latest Honda Adventure could be a good time slash effort saver. Couldn't agree more. That would be the thing I would use it for. Mm-hmm. Uh. <clears throat> All right, next one here is from Stan. He says, I think it sounds like an awesome tool. Uh, this is, again, on the um, Shaper Origin. Sounds like an awesome tool for the reasons outlined on the show, mainly the size of the unit and the unlimited size it'll cut. The thing I wonder about is you hear guys using the X-Carver, something like it, say, oh, it took three hours for the CNC to run the job. Personally, I don't think it would be enjoyable to run it for that long, <laughs> even if you could stop and pick up where you left off the next day. So in my mind, this would be used for small jobs or for cutting out parts, um, like Jimmy DeResta did cutting out his name. Just my initial thoughts on the limitations. Stan. So good point. You know, if it's a long job, do you want to be pushing that thing along the whole time? I don't know. I wouldn't. That's why I hire someone else to do it. <laughs> there you go. All the money you, you saved. Do it? All the money you saved on a full size CNC, you could just put that toward uh, an employee to just push this thing around for you. <laughs> i like it nice well in the uh intervening week between the last show and now um i've been receiving a fair amount of ribbing online um (laughs) uh, there's pretty much a running joke in the hand tool school community right now about my comments about walnut and maple and not looking good together so (laughs) yeah i actually need to re-listen to that show because apparently it came off a lot more um um worse than it meant to be but whatever this is uh this comes from chris he says hey guys chris here from four eyes the creator of shannon's man crush coat rack (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to say thank you that's all right (laughs) i wanted to say thank you for the shout out or shot out whatever either way thank you i also wanted to share a quick bit of irony at around the 30 minute mark of last week's episode number 322 shannon went on about how much he loved the design and more importantly the look of the coat rack the two-tone wood with the electric green slash chartreuse stripe in the dados. The funny or ironic part was that this came on the heels of Shannon's soliloquy on how much he despises a look of walnut and maple when paired together. Even going so far as to use the, I don't even know if I can type this, I'll just say the C word. I'm not talking about the one people say next Tuesday. I'm talking about the word crafty. Remember, those were his words, not mine. 
And who, I suppose I've kind of buried the lead here, uh, you can probably guess by now, that coat rack that he loves so much, walnut and maple. Boom. Primed and ready for the craft tour circuit. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, I'm just kidding, guys. It was awesome to hear you talk about the project. And Shannon, if you're looking for a comeback, here's the perfect retort. Yeah, but still... <laughs> thanks again guys Keep the great work love all three of you, you thank go. you chris i appreciate that and uh, you did a little bit more ribbing on that you know i'm going to start making maple and walnut projects just to continue the the ridicule because yep. it's fun hey it's personal preference and nothing more you just happen to be wrong in this case <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all <laughs> nice. yeah, design uh, is one uh, of those things you just can't talk about you know it's got to be all personal opinion and yeah you know there are some times when i like walnut maple just most of the time I don't. Nothing so Chris, that there, there you go. That is a, a a compliment to your design sense. You use two woods that I don't like together, and I still liked it. See so that? Good on you. When done properly. Uh, all right. So we actually do have another voice message here, and this one is a question. Hi guys, this is James calling from California. Hey guys, how much time do you spend on organizing your shop? How much time do you spend building things to organize your shop? To have your drills organized, to have your batteries organized, to have all of your t- your tools organized, I'd really be interested in knowing if that's a really important thing for you, or you did it once and now you just sort of let it go, or do you actually think of new ways to organize your shop? Love the show, guys. You're phenomenal, and talk to you soon. Bye bye. Hmm. So, what do you what do you guys think for that? Organizing your shop, it's for me, it's something that comes up periodically. It's not something that I do as often as I'd like, because I actually find it very pleasurable to organize the shop and find, you know, little things that you could build, just little creature comfort things to be more organized. But there are always projects that come in front of those. So for me, it's something that like you do a burst of it when you first get the shop set up. And then from then on, it's just kind of as time allows. And you just like come up with a brilliant idea that suddenly I need to organize my saws this way or my chisels this way. And you implement it and you go, I wish I would have done this two years ago but it just wasn't that important. So uh, for me, it only comes up periodically. I think it's a matter of not as things come up, but just you have a big list of things to do and you just keep putting it off and putting it off until it's absolutely necessary. Right. (laughs) Um, I just had this come up this, uh, this weekend. I, um, when I redesigned my shop and remodeled the shop, I've got this corner where the, the sump pump is. So it's kind of unusable because there's that well there and there's the pipe that runs out of the sump pump. Um, and I kept thinking, well, I should just build like a shelf that goes over it. You know, I can't put anything under it. So just a little corner shelf. I'll do that someday. And uh, this weekend I uh, knocked over my um, my high glue warmer. It's just a, like a double boiler type dealie mm-hmm. uh, where there's the water keeping warm in it and the glue bottle goes in it. And I had the glue bottle out and I like turned and bumped the uh, glue pot and it spilled all the water. Fortunately, right into the sump pump well. That was convenient. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it was in the way of something else. Um, so it's like, nah, I really need to get around to building that little shelf there to specifically keep the glue pot and the glue brushes and the glue and everything together. And it's just, you know, it really hasn't been a pressing need up until now. But now that it is a pressing need, you know, of course, I'm going to totally overbuild it and do something really fancy, more fancy than needs to be there. So, you know, that's the part that like Mark was talking about, the enjoyment of kind of adding the creature comforts to your shop. You know, it's our, it's our clubhouse. So you want it to be as tricked out as, as possible. Sure. What about you, Matt? How much time do I spend organizing my shop? Not enough. (laughs) 
As evidenced by me tripping over things every two minutes. Yes, as evidence of the just crap everywhere all the time. Not enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's plenty of places where I'm like, I could use this here or that there or just more storage in general. And that's always been something that I've worked on as I've spent more time in the shop. And it's come a long way from where it was in the beginning. Like when I first moved into the shop, I did a lot of that kind of shop organization stuff. And then I was like, oh, I want to build things. So then I did that for a while. And I like every now and then I'll build something here and there to kind of help uh, organize things a little better, keep things from being cluttered. Mm-hmm. But I'm st- I still have a long way to go. And the problem is that, like, the more time I spend woodworking, the more stuff I accumulate, which means it's like a fleeting goal because I'm always trying to organize more and more stuff. So it's like I'm just chasing it forever. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the whole constant evolution of the the shop. I don't think you're ever – there might be a point where you're done. But I don't know, at least at this point in our growth curves, I would say, we're, we're still accumulating things. We're still – refining what we like to use and finding new favorites and things go out of uh, usage in the shop and new things come in. So yeah, I kind of have the same issue where if I, if I were to go <laughs> crazy with this and make perfectly fitting things, like let's even just say for my drills or something like that. Well, if I get a new drill, it may not fit in that thing that was perfectly yeah. like contoured for it. Uh, I could suddenly be sponsored by Triton and have to replace every damn thing in my shop. And that would suck, hey. right? You know, <laughs> change paint everything in a new color. Yeah. Speaking of uh, all your drill charges all hanging up, I have all my old drill charges. I'm like, I want a board between my garage doors. So they fit perfectly there. Well, I'm getting rid of all my drills now. So I have to like put up all these Triton chargers. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a tough life, Matt. I know. Got to do what you got to do. Probably not getting a lot of sympathy on that one. Mm, probably not. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> oh man. Cool. All right. Let's get into our email here. See, the first one I have from Chris Levno. He says, what's the difference between gravity feed uh, and suction feed on paint sprayers? I'm looking at the Fuji 2, and it comes both ways for the same price. Uh, I I have an opinion on these. I have a personal preference, and I I think that may be what it comes down to. There are some functional differences. So if you're not familiar with HVLP, what he's talking about are two different formats on the guns. One, where your cup of fluid is below your hand and uses a siphon action to suck the fluid up into the gun. The other has the fluid on top of the gun, and it's allowing gravity to push that fluid down. So a couple practical differences between them. Number one, the gravity-fed one holds less liquid. So if you have the siphon version, you can put more finish in there, which means you're not going to have to change it quite as often. It's probably a minor difference, but it's something to be aware of if you're doing a lot of spraying or a long spraying session. Um, And of course, the big difference, I find, is the way it feels and also the way you can sort of get it into certain areas. If you have a big cup on top of your hand, think about getting inside of a cabinet, right? So you now got, you have to have a lot of vertical clearance. Uh, Likewise, if it's a siphon fed, it's on the bottom. Now you need to have clearance underneath your hand. So it's a catch 22. Um, It just depends on which one you get used to and and what types of projects you finish. Um, One can be more useful than the other. But ultimately, um, for me, I think I'd be happy with both, but I seem to gravitate toward um, the siphon fed. I'm just more comfortable with it. It feels better balanced in my hand. And I like the idea of being able to hold more finish. Um, But you may have a different situation based on what you're finishing. And if you often find that you're working in spaces where having something under your hand would just get in the way, then you may want to look at the gravity fed one because now it's it's on top of your hand. Um, But other than that, in terms of spray and the quality of the finish and what you're going to buy to accessorize it, tips and needles and things like that, none of that changes. It's really only referencing what happens with the fluid and if it's above your hand or below your hand. Um, so that's really about it. Sometimes I feel like I need like a, 
a sound bite that says I'm finished. <laughs> Just to let you guys know that I'm done talking in case it's not clear. Never know with you. Really? Am I that? Am I like that? Am I just chatty? Sometimes, sometimes that's when that's when the tangents start, and that's when the real conversation begins. Well, what I'm going to do from talking. now on, since you guys can see me, I'm going to finish talking, and then I'm going to go like this. <laughs> so it's pain, painfully obvious that there's a drink in my face. I'm probably not going to talk again. <laughs> okay, Shannon, you can go. Did we lose Shannon or something? What's going on? I don't know. No, I just oh. decided to hit the mute button and uh, uh, turn it back off again. That's very. <clears throat> yeah, that's I'm very just useful. trying not to oppress Matt. That's all it is. I'm trying to give him his, give him his airtime. You know. Yes. Hashtag stop oppressing Matt. <laughs> right. All right. This one comes to us from Michael. He says, "I've cut dovetails once in my life, and I understand the process, but I want to practice the crap out of them. I'd like to cut one or two sets a day for like a bazillion days, <laughs> so that I can build up the muscle memory and do them repeatedly." So here's the question. Does the type of wood I use for practice matter? I have some pine that would work fine. Hey, that rhymes. And I was thinking it would be a bit easier on the cutting chopping side of things, but I won't be using softwood in the majority of the projects I that I make. Pine is cheaper, or should I be using hardwood since that's what I'll be using in most of my projects? Uh, Michael, the answer is yes. You should be using all of the above. Um, and I, I know that's I know that's painful, but one of the I find one of the biggest issues with dovetailing is not the whole song to the line and chopping to the line. But what do I do with the line? Do I leave the line? Do I split the line? Do I take the line? And the answer to that is dependent upon the wood that you're using. So we use, you know, I use pine a lot for cutting like drawer sides and things like that. And that's one of those things where I most definitely want to leave that line because pine's so soft and it compresses. But then I'll be using cherry and I really want to split that line. And then I use white oak and I want to leave that line. And if you practice in the same species all the time, yeah, you'll develop some muscle memory and you'll end up with gaps because you get so used to how much do I leave? How much compression am I getting? More worse than gaps would be you leave too much and you split your board right down the middle because that tail is just too fat and it's going to wedge the whole thing apart that like dovetails do so not only do you know they may be more painful because you've got to buy some hardwoods there to to work on but you know hey if you're anywhere near maryland come by the lumber yard and i'll let you raid the dumpster all kinds of dovetail <laughs> practice wood in there. you know um poplar cherry walnut you know little tiny offcuts. you can you can make dovetails all day the only thing i will say uh, in addition to species is if you're going to do this do more than the two tail practice board I think fitting two dovetails is a heck of a lot easier than fitting four mm-hmm. or six. Uh, if you can use a wider board, at least three tails, I think, ends up being – it's got its own little oddities and difficulties that a two-tail um, dovetail joint does not have. So do yourself a favor and cut more tails and try to use as many species as you can. Hmm. It sounds – uh, the one thing I'm listening, I know he didn't ask for this kind of advice because he seems pretty – uh, determined to go, oh, there's a fly on my arm. Uh, he seems pretty determined to do this practice thing, but man, that just sounds so boring. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, how, how good do your dovetails need to be that, you know, maybe just build some stuff that have dovetails in it and build a chest of drawers, dovetail, a nine drawer chest. You'll be golden by the time you're done. Yeah. Cause the end goal, like it seems like the, the only reason you would want to do that is if you want it to be a Rob Cosman and make a video on it. You know, yeah. make make the four minute dovetail, the three minute dovetail. Like, I don't understand why you would want to put so much time into practicing just dovetails. I've given up that argument. 
<laughs> yeah. I feel like I've been saying that for a while and it is the, you know, the Rob Cosmans of the world that it forced people to think that their dovetails have to be absolutely perfect. And, you know, the whole dovetail a day thing that several of the magazines have now pushed out now, you know, that's so, yeah, if that's what you want to do, great. Yeah. All the power to it. It just is, yeah. it's an odd way of thinking. I, I can't get my brain around. It's just like everything else. People want to do all these practice pieces or they just want to practice by doing an actual project. It's a personal preference, I guess. I will say, though, if you're going to practice on pine, you're going to learn pretty quickly if your stuff is sharp enough or <laughs> yeah, not. That's because true. That's a whole other lesson. If you can dovetail pine, you could probably dovetail anything because, honestly, I would have a very hard time dovetailing pine because I never do it. And my tools are sharp enough for hardwood, but they're definitely not sharp enough for softwoods like pine. It just crushes all the fibers. Crush fibers. Yep, it'd be crazy. That drives but, me nuts. Uh, there's there's times I've tried that even with like uh, poplar or this fly is really angering me right now. <laughs> uh, I've done that with like poplar or alder, and those are woods where I'm using my Japanese chisels, a little bit of a higher angle on those, mm-hmm. and they just it's like a hammer going down <laughs> through the fibers, and they're sharp too. <laughs> But uh, certainly not sharp enough, and don't have a slight enough angle to uh, to cut through that softer wood effectively. That's, that's the one thing I see out there is when people try and do dovetails for the first time, they're using pine, yeah. and they get really frustrated because they don't understand the fact that pine is way harder to dovetail than hardwood, just for the fact that it compresses so much, and you can just get so much more torn fibers and stuff. Yep. Right. Yeah. And depending on where you are in the country, pine is not Douglas fir. That's so you true. Get too. People going to Home Depot out west, <laughs> and they get Doug fir, and it's like. That is totally not the same wood. That's <laughs> no. a beast as well to dovetail and for very different reasons. Totally. Yeah. Lesson learned here. Harder is not harder. Get it? <laughs> Make sense? Wow. Where's the cup? Hold on. Drink hold on. <laughs> I took okay. my drink a long time ago. You and guys just... done. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess we're done now. So go, go ahead, Matt. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I forgot to put who this is from, so um, I'm sorry. But this is from the Patreon page. Thank you to all the patrons over there submitting questions. Besides the upcoming guild builds for the High Boy, super pumped. Woodwhisper.com, whisper, wait, whisperguild.com. The Woodwhisperguild.com. Yeah, go buy it. Go uh, any good resources for period furniture construction? Having a hard time finding information on the K slash Cabriol leg construction slash joining. Thanks. There are actually. A lot of resources out there on period furniture construction and like just specific elements of it. It's just that they're really like dispersed and all over the place. Um, a couple of books that I have that I can recommend at least for general construction techniques. Um, Glenn Huey's Illustrated Guide to Building Period Furniture. That's fantastic. Glenn Huey's um, one. If you are interested in period furniture enough, I would definitely recommend joining SAFM. That's the Society of American Period Furniture Makers. They put out a... Oh, Shan's got books too. They, they put out both uh, quarterly electronic uh, digest as well as a yearly publication, which has a whole bunch of stuff to look at in there, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, Will Neptune has a few books on specific... <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I had to make a contribution. You guys are holding a book. This is all I have. Finger painting books. <laughs> it's my finger painting. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Uh, what was I saying? Will Neptune has one on specific furniture elements. So there's like that book has specific elements like finials, um, cabriole legs, things like that. And then the one thing about cabriole legs 
in particular is that everyone teaching it has a different style of doing them, or at least shaping them. Um, so Glenn Huey has his way, Chuck Bender has a way, Phil Lowe has a way, uh, Will Neptune has a way. And with Cabrio Legs, it's kind of like figuring out how do you like to shape things? Do you want to remove a bunch of weights with a chisel, or do you want to go out with a spoke shave, or do you want to use a rasp? You know, it's really up to you. And the nice thing about a cabrio leg is that it doesn't have to be exactly to the template unless you're trying to do an absolute perfect reproduction. You just have to make four that look close enough to be the same from a couple feet away as they're on the case. Um, a video that I have from, I think it was Chuck Bender on Popular Woodworking's store is an actual video on carving a cabrio leg. You can check out as well. Um, or you can wait for the uh, the guild build. Yeah, there it's going to go. be good. It's going to be a real good one. People are yeah. really excited about that one. I'm you glad. Know, one one that I really like, you know, that um, whole series that Taunton did, uh, like the joinery book uh, by Gary Rogowski. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a sharpening book. Uh, I think that one's Leonard. No, that's uh, Tom Lee Nielsen did that. Mm-hmm. But they have one called Period Furniture Details. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're kind of like just general period furniture, not specific forms, that's a good one because it shows you a variety of ways. Like Matt was just saying, here's how to do a cabrio leg with a router. Here's how to do it with a rasp. Uh, you know, here's how to do a finial, et cetera. Uh, that's a really good one. Um, far and away, I think the best one is uh, American Furniture of the 18th Century by um, Jeffrey Green. This has uh, now gotten a heck of a lot cheaper on Amazon. It used to be like a $70 book. I think That's why I never bought it. <laughs> yeah, I think you can find them on Amazon now for the 20s. But it's a really good book because it's got a lot of line drawings that shows like the internal structure of the casework, which is something you can't really find in some of the more traditional museum style books. Mm-hmm. And then um, if you like Queen Anne stuff, Queen Anne Furniture by Norm Vandal. That's another good one. Good line drawings and um, kind of specific projects as well in there. Another there one, go. too, is if you have the fine woodworking membership online, you have access to the full catalog they have of all their back issues so you can go right on there and you can search for period furniture and you can find every article that they've ever published on a period furniture technique or project or whatever nice this is true very cool all right well you know what we got a couple of these emails today from the patreon folks because people who support us on patreon are getting a little preferential treatment so sorry everyone else but that's just you know kind of the way it works and uh it actually is much easier for us to find the questions too which uh, I'm kind of just yeah, gravitating it toward that. It's, a, it's just it's a smaller pile to sort through. Um, so if you want to support us on Patreon, keep that in mind too. You will actually get preferential treatment for your questions being answered on the show. And speaking of that, we are about to close off this recording and start another one. It's called The Extra Show that our patrons <laughs> get. So if you are a patron, you will get one extra email answered by the three of us as a separate recording, which you can only download on Patreon, which is kind of cool. So we're going to do that now, but we're going to have to close off this show first. So if that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. Such a tease. <laughs> so that is one wow. way you could uh, support us. You can also leave us a iTunes review. Just go to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a five-star rating, just like a bunch of people did. Um, I'll read hands. What is his name? Maris Otter says, hands down, the best woodworking podcast from personality to audio quality. These guys nail it every week. Now, if you could find a knitting podcast this good. Oh, now if I could only find a knitting podcast this good. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, Maris Otter. 
It's very cool. Paris Hotter. Yes. And uh, yeah. Shannon, how about you give them that sweet, sweet contact info and we'll get out of here. Sweet contact info. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions, or stuff like that, you can reach us on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line, 623-242-5180. You can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact, or leave us a comment on our website at woodtalkshow.com. Don't forget, this show is made possible through the generous support of our listeners at patreon.com slash woodtalk. But we talked about that already. Yes. And then, of course, <laughs> several times, you know, woodwhisper.com, <laughs> renaissancewoodworker.com, and maccarmona.com. All those places have good stuff on them. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And those of you with an email extra invite, go to Patreon. You could download that thing, man. Get on it. And uh, I guess we'll catch you next time. See you, everybody. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.